0: Welcome to Glam City. Welcome to our second season. And we are excited to be bringing you 10 wonderful episodes of Oral Delights in the first half of 2018. So for those of you who haven't been listening to us lately or over the last year or so, Glam City is just a little radio show that lifts the curtain and takes you behind the scenes to reveal the marvellous archivists, curious curators and purveyors of cultural heritage who are working in galleries, libraries, archives and museums, that's GLAM, across Australia. We're going to take you behind the scenes and chat with some of the people who are tasked with preserving some of our culture. Now, on this episode of Glam City, we are very lucky to have respected collector, curator and creator, Dr. Jean Sherman with us. Jean, welcome.
1: Thank you so much. Lovely to be here.
0: Jean was the director Mm -hmm. and proprietor of Sherman Galleries for 21 years. She's also adjunct professor at UNSW Art and Design, a member of the Tate International Council, and a board member of the Australian Institute of Art History. In 2007, Dr. Sherman created the Sherman Contemporary Art Foundation, SCAF, and last year, I believe, um, you also created
1: Sky. That's right. Uh, last last year I created it, but it hasn't been launched yet. Okay. So well, that's what we'll talk about today. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Before we get on to the latest,
0: um, can you tell us a little bit about SCAF, the Sherman Contemporary Art Foundation, which took up a lot of your time
1: yes, for many well, years? Uh, for uh, 10 years, uh, to, uh, as you said, uh, Sherman Galleries, which was a commercial gallery, Uh, was a 21-year project. I started off as an academic. That's why the doctor, uh, the PhD, uh, you know, gave me that title. And I use it because women, I think, need to assert uh, what they've done in ways that they didn't traditionally not bother to do. They didn't think it was appropriate to do. And so I've always been very assertive about that. It took six years for me to do that doctorate with two small children and a full-time job. And there is no way that I'm going to be called Mrs. Sherman um, <laughs> after that effort. So, uh, so you know, just to put, put that in context. But then I moved on. As Australia pivoted towards Asia and I was teaching French literature, it became necessary for me to find another job. And I was not the only one in the French department at the time at Sydney University. And I think I was the youngest member by some years. We had... Uh, 20 staff members from Professor down to the lowliest uh, tutor and the youngest of, of all of us uh, as I said was me and uh, we went over during the course of the five years that I was here we went from 20 to uh, 8 so 12 people um, needed to leave and find other opportunities for the simple reason that Australia was no longer focusing on Europe as and on France as uh, England traditionally did as a sort of space, I guess, for contemplation, for education, and in terms of language, for the learning of a second language. And so I uh, went to Ascom School. Um, I was head of modern languages, and we introduced Japanese and Indonesian, uh, the two sort of hit languages Mm -hmm. of that period. Chinese, of course, has been added now. And I was there for almost six years until my HSC students left, And I just felt that that was not the career path that I wanted and uh, and that, you know, if I was going to move forward uh, in any meaningful way, the end of that road would have been to become a headmistress of a school which is not really what was on my mind so uh, I opened the gallery, my husband became successful, gave me a little bit of cushioning financially so that I didn't feel as though you know, Mm. we were risking bread on the table and um, I opened the gallery in 1986 21 years later with a still successful husband and probably more successful at the, by that time, I opened the foundation, and that was a ten-year project. Thirty-seven uh, individual commissions, um, mostly artists from Asia, uh, the Asia Pacific region, including Australia, mm. uh, and covering, you know, China, Japan, Indonesia, Vietnam, Cambodia, the Pacific Islands, S- Samoa—just the whole range mm. of Asia. Every, everything that you would put into Asia, India. Uh, big part of it. So um, just to take a step back for a moment, uh, that was what I did in the commercial gallery and then even more intensively, but not in a commercial uh, sense or at a commercial level in the foundation.
0: Mm. And so just over the course of your lifetime, you Mm. telling that little story of starting with French literature and ending with a kind of (laughs) view to Asia, you've sort of traversed a shifting lens of Australia, really, haven't you? Absolutely.
1: I I've, I've followed the arc yeah. that Australia uh, sort of defined for me. There was a pathway, and at uh, initially I saw uh, this change in direction, Australia, the country's change in direction, as a disaster because I'd spent 12 years in formal education in one category with one goal and one career path, and that shifted outside of my control and outside of everybody's control. But I decided to go with the new arc.
0: Um so you had this incredible career managing Sherman Galleries. Yes. And then you've had two very interesting cultural but also philanthropic ventures with the Sherman Contemporary Art Foundation and now um now the Sherman Center for Culture
1: and Ideas. And Ideas. Yes.
0: What prompted you to move into some of these I guess as you said less commercial yet no less culturally important
1: Yes, they weren't less commercial than not commercial. They're not commercial. No, there's no commercial element in what I have been doing since the end of 2007. So, look, I think, remember I started in education, which is why I began at the beginning, at least at the beginning of my professional life, and uh, I I wasn't intending to be in the business of selling. You know, I was in the business of teaching and researching and uh, whatever money came in – came in through my salary at the university. So when I was, and then I went to the school and the same applied, I was teaching and the girls were there, it was a private girls school, wonderful school and um, there was no question of selling anything, it was simply sharing knowledge and then I moved into the commercial gallery and that was all about selling because the artists uh, were dependent on the income I didn't need the money because as I said my husband built up this very successful funds management business. And just to add a little caveat there, they um, raised billions of dollars in North America, the US and Canada little bit in Europe but main focus was on America to invest in the Asia Pacific region so they followed that arc as well Mm. Uh, you know it seems silly to fight against something that is so obviously logical we're we're here in the Asia Pacific region, we have our roots elsewhere but our future's here so when from a government point of view the shift was articulated it felt right, Mm. it felt hurtful uh, and it felt a pity in a way and I was very upset at the beginning but it felt logical and I'm an analytical logical person and I thought well you know you go with the flow you can't fight something that seems so bleeding obvious yeah. and so moving then into uh, Sherman galleries I was plunged into a world where I was surrounded by a group of needy artists all artists are needy all human beings are needy but artists are particularly needy and I decided to focus then and there on artists from the asia-pacific region including australia so i didn't show anyone from europe or from america remember now it seems more obvious but at the time people saw art as coming from the western canon and uh, in asia traditional arts you know bronzes and uh, textiles perhaps from indonesia to, uh, traditional textiles and so on with the focus uh, nobody was thinking of contemporary art From Asia, you know, in the 70s, Mao Zedong uh, was still alive until 1976. I mean, China was a closed. India was not uh, what it is today, an open economy, you know. So I, I don't say I was the only one. There, was a, you know, there were a number of people. And in Australia, the main big institution that was pivoting in the same direction, huge institution compared to my tiny little gallery, uh, was the Queensland Art Gallery in mm. Brisbane. And the revolutionary director, Doug Hall, now retired, you know, said, we're in Asia. We better start uh, thinking Mm -hmm. about it. Where are the artists? Mm -hmm. Are there artists? The Gang of Four was demolished, made to disappear. Uh, In China, Madame Mao, you know, who was a, a real tyrant really and no other way to describe her Uh, she had gone and uh, Xiaoping had uh, established the open-door policy in China and so things started opening up so you could go in and look and research and the Queensland Art Gallery really did it in a big way and I was one of the small Mm. fish in that Mm. in that pond.
0: You really embraced the Asia-Pacific region and also as you say by doing that you're questioning. That traditional canon, exactly. and it's not simply about moving to the Asia Pacific. It's also questioning the content of that canon, exactly. isn't it? And one of the things that we're interested um, here at Glam City is history of design and fashion, yes. in particular. You've got a very unique take on the history of fashion. Why is it important to think about and learn about the history of fashion?
1: I think it's critically important, and I'll tell you why, for a number of reasons. One, I think that fashion in many people's minds, up until fairly recently it has started changing, uh, has been about shopping. It's about clothes you wear, going shopping, all this fast fashion that, you know, is, is really Like fast food, it's 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 non-nourishing. It's non-sustainable. It's uh, hurting the environment, and the workers are paid a pittance. They not paid a living wage in countries like Bangladesh and elsewhere, and uh, for the sake of uh, somebody here or anywhere in the developed world to be able to buy a jacket that costs $30 every two weeks. No one needs a jacket every two weeks. And it's people like the Kardashians, this whole celebrity cult, that promote shopping, shopping, shopping. So people have been, I suppose, lulled into thinking that fashion is shopping. It's not. Fashion is self-expression, it can be and it's also an industry that is uh, underpinned by so many different elements and these are the elements and the layers that I hope to explore through Sky. And so what are we doing? We're exploring every layer of fashion. It's a five-year project, so we're going to do five fashion hubs and five architecture hubs. Fashion in April and architecture in October. You know, it's let's uh, sort of just document or detail um, what some of the layers are. There's fashion as craftsmanship there's fashion photography, there's fashion as textiles, there's the materials that underpin the textiles, they've got to be grown or fabricated if they're chemically constructed, there's fashion as ethics, Uh, the rights of the work, there's fashion as film, there's fashion in literature, all writers dress their characters in one way or another for a reason, Uh, there's fashion as self-expression, there's fashion as costume there's fashion that relates to the history of women in the world and if you just look at what we're wearing in the studio now it says something about you, our era
0: You can say yeah. that I've really dressed up for the occasion Jean. Um. But, but it
1: still says something about of course. our era yeah. the fact that you come to work like this. Yeah. If you were a 19th century woman you wouldn't be able to work at all because you'd have a bustle and you wouldn't be able to sit down on yes. the chair on which you're sitting and you'd have a course it, both of us would, and we could hardly breathe, let alone eat. So, you know, it says so many things Mm. about history, about women's roles in history, uh, the burqa, the veil. You know, there's fashion as faith. There's fashion in the Catholic Church and at pomp and ceremony. It goes on and on. Have you
0: always been interested in this or is it something that's come to you through, I guess, the artwork that you've been
1: doing? I'm interested in culture, Anna. You know, and I see fashion as, as much part of culture. If you take it seriously and you don't think of it as going to the shop every two weeks to buy a new jacket that you don't need, that falls apart after five minutes Goes into uh, the ocean, clogs everything up. Uh, the dyes uh, come out because the whole thing's made so cheaply. The workers are paid twenty dollars a month. You know, it, it's yeah. just not necessary. It
0: is a culture in its own right, though, isn't it? Even if we can critique it, that that consumerist
1: it, culture is a type. Of... It's it's is the today's culture, but I think we're going to have to reverse it. And we're becoming aware of that. I mean, some of us are more aware than others. But, you know, everything starts somewhere.
0: You're listening today to Glam City on 2SER 107.3. To download this show, head to 2SER.com or your favourite podcast app and look for Glam City. This show is made by the Australian Centre for Public History at UTS with the support of 2 And don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts because it helps other people find us. Today we're talking all things design and culture with Dr. Jean Sherman who recently launched the Sherman Centre for Culture and Ideas known as Sky. Think Sky. Sky, sky. high. <laughs> sky high. The sky's the limit. Yeah. <laughs> We've been talking about design and the need to shift some of our ideas about fashion and culture in today's society. What was the impetus or the inspiration for the Sherman Centre for Culture and Ideas? What, what made you think Sky?
1: I tell you, I, I always thought Sky. Uh, this uh, Centre for Culture and Ideas As I said earlier My background was in the academic world And teaching So knowledge sharing is really What I'm most interested in And uh, that goes with my interest In cross-cultural understanding And I've chosen to focus On the Asia-Pacific Because that's where we are And I think it's so important To get to know our neighbours I'm a bilingual speaker In French and English And I know what Knowing another language brings to my life and to anybody's life because of all the years I I was teaching. I taught for 17 years, either at a school or a university. So when I ran the commercial gallery, Sherman Galleries, I always made a little place for exchange of ideas. Uh, nowadays, it's quite common in uh, commercial galleries, uh, not in all of them, but from time to time you have a gallery whose owner and proprietor and founder and director takes an interest in sharing knowledge outside of the commercial parameters of the gallery. You know, you can hang pictures on the wall and sell them, that's one way of running a gallery, and of course you have to give a little bit of information, otherwise you wouldn't sell the pictures at all but uh, you can then go deeper into the discussions by having Saturday afternoon sessions or uh, once-a-month sessions whereby artists or curators come and talk, etc. And it's a personal thing. It adds, I think, to the commercial galleries only to the extent that it informs the collectors. I don't think it drives sales. Well, certainly not in the short term Mm. and maybe not in the medium term, maybe in the long term it does. But I was always interested in it. And I don't know if you remember the late Andrea Stratton. Mm. Do you remember, Mm -hmm. Andrea? Well, she died so prematurely of cancer in her early 50s. It was a great tragedy. And in the very early days of Sherman Galleries, which is the late 80s, Andrea came and about three, four, sometimes five times a year, she curated a session at my commercial gallery on not one artist's work because that would have meant choosing one artist. another and you know you get into terrible trouble. We discussed what um, she was going to involve herself in and say we were showing an uh, Indigenous artist like uh, Gordon Bennett who didn't like to be called an Indigenous artist but in fact was Indigenous. Uh, we would then have a talk, a panel discussion around Indigenous art or around issues relating to Indigenous artists not wanting to be called Indigenous, and we fashioned, uh, just as we're having a conversation now, we fashioned uh, a conversation sometimes with three people, Andrew Stretton as moderator, and um, and two others. So I did it even in the commercial gallery where Mm -hmm. there was no commercial uh, impetus, not an immediate one that anybody could see. Uh, now, of course, you do find it in lots of commercial uh, galleries uh, where there's time. They're, they're very busy commercial galleries. Brutal schedules, you know, one after, artist after the other and uh, very high expectations and the sales and the promotion. But I was determined. And then I moved into SCAF, as you said, and that was the Sherman uh, Contemporary Art Foundation where I didn't sell anything. And so uh, we had four projects a year. They were mostly, not exclusively, but mostly commissioned works, new works, so I expanded my remit beyond contemporary art to all these other areas, cultural areas, including fashion, you will notice, and um, we then upped the ante with the Culture and Ideas Programme, so we did the exhibition. We commissioned the work, we gave them a fair amount of money, a generous amount of money, more for the architects because it was more expensive. We built little buildings uh, called pavilions and um, we started off with Margaret Throsby, Caroline Boehm and myself running the Culture and Ideas Program side by side with the commissioned projects. So if we had Awewe, for example, which we did uh, in 2008 before he was famous like he is now, we would then have Margaret would interview uh, the artist. Caroline did a little panel on books relating to the subjects. So it could have been books on China or books on activism in China or books on Chinese history, whatever. And I usually did a little panel to do with sort of outside the box issues like, I don't know, business in China, with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm not an expert in it, but I brought together experts in cultural development in China or something. So that was done over the 10 years of SCAF. And then, you know, as I'm getting older and uh, now I'm in the twilight of my Golden career. Golden years, I think say. Go- I don't know, autumn <laughs> years is probably more <laughs> the, the correct uh, uh, way of describing it. I thought I'll leave the exhibitions. I've been making exhibitions for 31 years now. Leave it to the younger people. It's very demanding work. And um, just focus on the culture and ideas which I've done since mm. i was teaching university and school. see, mm. coming from that
0: background in mm. university where this is, you know, the shtick of a this university. This is the shtick,
1: is what we do, <laughs> yes.
0: How, <laughs> what, what does it mean to do it outside of one of those public institutions? And in a sense, you know, you're doing it um, as a philanthropist. Yes. Um, what opportunities do you have in philanthropy to do this that perhaps a public institution might not have? What's the sort of
1: excitement? Well, I think it's it's enormous. I mean, it's for other people to judge, Anna. You'll have to come and tell yeah, me what absolutely. you think. A university has got all sorts of restrictions and constrictions uh, frameworks and governance rules. I mean, it's public money and they're huge institutions with multi-million and sometimes billion-dollar budgets. It's a completely different thing, really. Uh, there are syllabi, there are, uh, you know, requirements, there are outcomes that are expected, etc. When you do it the way I do <laughs> it, <laughs> <woo-hoo>, <laughs> you are really free. And because I've got a lively mind and, uh, you know, I like freedom and I like change and I'm a researcher by training. You don't do a doctorate for six years if you don't mm. know how to research. So, uh, you know, from I've got the research uh, capacities, I've got the skills. And I've got – I haven't got the restrictions. I see that as a huge privilege. There's so few people in my position, and I'm very aware of how lucky I am. And I'm not just saying that. Everyone says nowadays I'm so lucky that i got to go around the corner to go to the shop. It's become a kind of cliché. I really am lucky because how many people have got uh, money in the kitty – uh, I stick to it. Uh, there's a money in the kitty. I know what I want to do. I've got tons of contacts after 31 years. Uh, you know, being in the field, I travel a lot. So the phone, all our iPhones our allow us to be in contact with people around the mm. world. And uh, it's very different. And the other element that I think I bring to it, and I know people will be a little surprised perhaps to hear this, but an element of glamour. I can have, you know. Putting
0: the glam back in.
1: And that's glam. Very, uh, this, is, uh, this is putting the glam back into glam. Because if you go to a seminar, and I'm sure all of us have, at a university uh, at, in the evening that's open to the general public, not specifically for a degree You have to go to a seminar room upstairs in a building. The university is dark, uh, you know, and then there's wine in paper cups. And uh, Mm -hmm. if there's wine of all, you've been there, done that. I think we all have. I've got the T-shirt. No, exactly. And I I don't have to do it that way. Mm. Uh, You know, there's beautiful wine in beautiful glasses with a glamorous atmosphere. (laughs) And everybody is uh, is, you know, the space is beautifully done. So I think that's a lovely addition and also I'm in Paddington like you here at the studio I'm on the street so you don't have to walk through dark park lands in order to get to a seminar room on level something of a building you just walk off Good Hope Street and you're there Mm.
0: Well you've been very lucky to have this shift in career and be able to do this work with the Sherman Centre for Culture and Ideas we have been very lucky to have you on before we wrap up we've got a little glam slam segment where we talk about what's happening for us in our calendar Um, And you might like to talk about the Sky Fashion Hub launch and the Architecture Hub launch. I think they're coming yes. up in the next...
1: Fashion is coming up on the 5th of April, so I'd like to focus on that.
0: And how would people um, find out about that?
1: Well, I, it, there is a beautiful website. Mm-hmm. Uh, go to the website. There's a ticketing. You press all sorts of buttons and you can buy tickets, and there's somebody to call. Daisy Tiskovich at the gallery is there simply to help people with ticketing. We have a very odd policy in terms of paying, Uh, People pay a fair amount, and if they come, they get their money back. So, um, And the reason I've done this is it's it's an unusual scheme (laughs) because uh, people today, they press five buttons saying, yes, they're coming to things, and they don't go to anything. Or they go to one thing, and four uh, RSVPs are then left uh, to flounder. And so I uh, have instituted this very uh, unusual ticketing system that you pay. And it's if you inspired. come, you get your money back. <laughs> and and there's, uh, I can't get involved in discussions, oh, you know, uh, my car broke down, etc. If you're not there, the money goes to the foundation, goes to a good cause. And mm-hmm. so
0: that's the, um, the fashion hub is coming up yes, in April? on
1: the 5th of April. And then
0: there's an architecture hub launch in September, October. In October, on the 12th of and October. And what will that be looking at? Briefly,
1: Well, uh, that will be looking at architecture from the same uh, perspectives. Uh, architecture in film, architecture in books, uh, biographies of architects, uh, sustainable architecture, affordable housing, uh, grand architecture. You know, the, it's the, the uh, sort of lens is the same, but of course the details are different. There are 60 speakers. Wow. There are 40 sessions. There are 17 days. Uh, People are coming from all over the world and you can choose to do all sorts of things. I feel maybe I've made the choices too complicated. <laughs> you know, too, maybe there are too many layers. At least check it out. Uh, some sessions are completely booked out and some that I think are going to be so interesting. Akira Minagawa, for example, is a famous textile designer coming from Japan who has 12 concept stores all over Japan, is coming. There's still many tickets left for him and uh, um, Emmanuel Coquerie is coming. Coming from Paris, uh, he runs directs, and curates the Grand Palais, which is um a huge uh exhibition space, one of these um you know traditional buildings uh in Paris that was used for royalty uh in the past um, I think there'd be eight or so different exhibition spaces there, and he creates a cultural mix there Mm -hmm. there might be a fashion show there might be a sculpture show there might be the uh, jewellery a jewellery exhibition from the Aga Khan might be in there all simultaneously and it's putting that together as a kind of um, cultural experience. Uh, people go to one or more uh, at different times. He's a, a very respected person. Mm. He's coming. So, you know. A
0: lot to look out lot, for. Yeah. It's such an exciting intervention into design.
1: Yes, architecture discussion. coming up. Yes. Yeah,
0: it's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about the uh, Sherman Centre for Cultural Ideas. That's Sky, for those of you who have been listening. Um, go onto the website, as uh, as Jean Sherman has been saying, um, book tickets, and also you know, just have a look to see what's going on and, and what's possible in this glam space. You've been listening to Glam City on 2 ser Dot com. You can also search for us on your favourite podcast app and you can hit us up on Twitter. You'll find my absent host, Tamson, under cap and gown when she's back and me under at Anna Hope Clark. This podcast is made by the Australian Centre for Public History with the support of 2SER 107.3. And if you want to get in touch, please send us an email to glamcity at 2SER.com. Thank you so much to Dr. Jean Sherman for joining us today, talking about all things glam in the world of design and uh, and architecture history thank you so much
1: thank you so much anna